It's that time of year again, folks. New games are finally upon us, and we at TBM are ready to dive in and give you the critical analysis you've been craving. But before we get into all that, we decided to take some time to discuss what we're expecting, what we're most excited about, and we're taking some bold bets on how these games will shake out. It's all speculation and supposition on this episode. I'm Jordan, and here to help me discuss all these upcoming games are my brothers. I'm Jason. And I'm Jackson. And now, let's get into it. All right, now do another one where you're really disappointed that there are new games. <laughs> yeah. It's that time of year again, folks. New games are finally yeah, new games us. now. We, we at TBM are reluctant to dive in. <laughs> Look, I'm just mad that we're getting these four games within like the span of a month and not like eight games in like half a week of February. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, the ideal time for all like 100% of video games to release is between the third week of February and the second week of March. In my ideal world, um, every game would actually get delayed till next year and then dropped just all at the end of the year. Yeah, 100%. And then maybe like half of those games get delayed another year. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine a world in which all these games just get delayed? <laughs> Hear me out. What if video games just don't release? That way, they can only be as good as your imagination. And also only as bad as your imagination. That's a good segue into the first game we're talking about. Because I'm imagining it bo being both very good and very bad in equal parts. <laughs> I'll drink to that. The first game we're going to be talking about is Gotham Knights, which is a new action RPG co-op stealth brawler. It has, it's spinning in a lot of plates, folks. And apparently and maybe like one-fourth third-person shooter. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's got a lot going on. MMO-inspired. Yeah. If you're like us and you've been keeping up with the news cycle for this game, it's pretty weird. At first, I think a lot of us assumed this was going to be a sequel to the Batman Arkham games. Nope. And there's clearly a lot of shared DNA, but they made it abundantly clear after like the first trailer, or not even the first trailer, after like the initial reveal, it's like, this is its own thing. <laughs> Which I'm still confused about that, because the whole premise of this game is Batman is dead, so everyone has to like rise up to protect the city. Which is exactly what Batman Arkham Knight set up at the end. Yeah, yeah, it is really kind of funny how much literally everything that this game is about was set up in uh, Arkham Knight. And then they're just like, but it's its own universe because we couldn't hire Kevin Conroy for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's also really strange that... So, like, there is Gotham Knights and the Suicide Squad game both coming out in the next year. And they were both originally scheduled to come out this year. And the team behind... Most of the Arkham games is making Suicide Squad, and the team behind Arkham Origins specifically is working on this game. And you it seems like that should have been switched almost. You no, think the I mean, reason I get it. that it's not in the same universe is after how poorly Arkham Origins did? They were they just didn't trust uh, WB Montreal to handle another Arkham series game. That doesn't make any sense because this is an Arkham series game, and everything except for. 
continuity. The series, technically. the continuity. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, it is kind of strange. I don't really know why there's that level of disconnect that there is, but maybe maybe the game will explain all of that a little more in depth. Maybe they just wanted to take some liberties with the characters we haven't quite seen shown off yet. If I had to guess, this game started its pre-production around the same time that the actual development work on Arkham Knight started. And they probably shared a lot of ideas between writers about like where the story of Arkham Knight was going to go and what they wanted to do with Gotham Knights. So what kind of ended up happening is you have like a weird mismatch or mix match, you know, like combination of these two continuities. But then before the game actually hit like its full production, they were like, okay, well this is in its, it's in its own separate universe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It does kind of feel like it was a cop out and they didn't want to stick to all of the things that the Arkham games had previously set up. Yeah. There are a lot of dead characters in the Arkham games for one. Uh, And I think that Rocksteady wanted to do something kind of completely different (laughs) from the Arkham games. And this kind of seems, I mean, there are definitely a lot of differences. It's obviously not everything they've shown us so far. It has clearly like the DNA of the Arkham series, but it also has its own thing going on specifically with like taking a lot from RPGs and mmos in particular yeah that's the part that confuses me more than anything to do with the narrative the continuity the storyline here the the shift to this being like a loot based rpg is very confusing to me yeah and as someone that liked but didn't love the combat of the arkham games i think there's a lot of potential here but i do think it's going to alienate a lot of arkham fans like, I would say the majority of people that are really into the Arkham games, I mean, I've, I guess I've already kind of seen it in, like, the comments on posts and stuff about this game. Like, a lot of really hardcore Arkham fans are just like, no, right out of the gate, because they see damage numbers and loot being dropped everywhere and, like, a lot of, like, skill tree stuff and, like... The aversion to damage numbers is so weird to me, because, I mean, obviously the Arkham games didn't have them, but... Under the hood, like, sure, those yeah. numbers are still happening just because you're not seeing them. And if it's like a lot of recent games with damage numbers, you can just turn them off. Yeah, and they said you can. Um, personally, I like I like damage numbers in video games pretty much universally. Even in like uh, Ratchet and Clank, the new one, you could unlock the ability to turn on damage numbers, and I love that crap. My brain is broken in such a way where if like I get to buy an upgrade and that damage number goes up by a point, I am thrilled. <laughs> so like that doesn't really phase me. Um, I, but, uh, I also think one thing that's going to be pretty alienating is the focus on abilities in this game. Like it's it's very cool you have four playable characters and that there is like it's like full co-op. Like I'm way into that. I think everyone's basically way into that conceptually. But it seems like they're all going to have like special abilities that you map to different, you know, functions on the controller and that that will like, they'll be on like cooldowns and they'll be interwoven with regular combat. And I think that's going to also turn some heads of big Batman fans. (laughs) Ability stuff that really, that I don't know how I feel about. I'm fine with having a more like RPG focused sort of style for progression and everything in a, in a Batman uh, world game. I don't, I don't care if it's like that or like the Arkham games, but 
I just I feel like being ability focused is not the right step. I think the coolest thing about being Batman and anything is just you can do all this cool stuff just all the time. In the Arkham games, you had tons of combo abilities that you could do all the time. And the only thing that you'd have to do to get them is just hit like eight on a combo meter. While in this, you just got to wait for a cooldown. I I don't really think that they're comparable to those, though. Like, I think that these are abilities that are going to be totally outside of your regular kit. Like, I've seen some where uh, Nightwing could be fighting with his, you know, he has, like, the dual baton thing. And then he has a move where he puts them together and does, like, a big spin with them as a bow staff. And I've also seen one he uh, completely stops, you know, the regular flow of hits and, like, slams them into the ground, and it shocks people in an area around him. Like, it's stuff like that. It's not just, like, special, you know, acrobatic moves or punches and kicks. It's, like, equipment. and It's doing something unique in combat. And I, yeah. I get why they did something like that, because if, you've, if you go back to Arkham Knight and you play the challenge mode, you can try all of these different characters. There's, you know, Batman, Robin... Batgirl, I think, (laughs) Catwoman, and Nightwing. But at the end of the day, with that combat style and the fact that everything is kind of based on using your gadgets, but they wanted to keep all the gadgets kind of same or at least similar between all the different characters, like, I don't really feel that they... there's, There's not really enough in that game to distinguish each character from the other characters. They all just feel like Batman. Some of them are faster Batman, and some of them are slower Batman. But they are all (laughs) Batman. (laughs) Right. And they all have gadgets that do similar stuff. I mean, Robin kind of has the most unique stuff. Um, I might be thinking of Arkham City, but he has like a shield that can like deflect bullets and... uh, Maybe put out fires, although now that might be a Lego game now (laughs) I'm thinking about it. Um, So, like, Robin was pretty unique in that game. But this game, they it definitely seems like they wanted to distinguish all the characters. Like, they all fight very differently. From what I've seen, Red Hood is a lot slower and has more of a focus on using his gadgets, whereas... Nightwing is more based on quick flowing combos. Um, Batgirl is the most similar to Batman, at least kind of from what I've seen, kind of a jack of all trades character. And then Robin is supposedly stealth based, although we haven't really seen enough gameplay of Robin for me to make. I'm just going based off what the developers keep saying in interviews. Yeah, I will say, while I don't really like the whole like, uh, like switch to an ability based thing. I do think each character does s- seem a lot more distinct than in the Arkham games, which is a pretty good direction in my opinion. Yeah, and I think it's something we wanted to talk about was how bad a lot of the earlier gameplay, vi- uh, yeah, earlier gameplay videos <laughs> that we saw were. Yeah, but yeah. they did Oof. kind of make a point in those videos, or at least a couple of them, to show you can have two of the same character. But depending on how you kind of allocate your skill points or which abilities you focus on using the most, you can make them feel really different from each other. I'm really, really interested in exactly like what the links of that are. Yeah, the examples they gave were a more brawler based Red Hood and a ranged based one. But the ranged one looked 
very boring to play as. <laughs> there is definitely a... We've seen a lot of really sluggish gameplay in what they've shown off. And I think it is because they want to really emphasize what some of those abilities are and what some of those distinctions are. But it wasn't until very recently that we got any like, like hands-on gameplay from non-developers. All the developer stuff was rough, but... I'm a little more hopeful after what we've seen with some of like the streamers and YouTubers and stuff that got some hands-on time. It seems a lot more... It, it seems like at least they're going for the same thing that the Arkham games did vis-a-vis combat, even if we still don't know much about like stealth and other you know non-combat focused stuff in the game at all. So. I have no idea what direction they were given with those developer gameplay videos because they looked awful for a long time. Yeah. It would be like they would hit once and then just stand there. And like the Nightwing gameplay they showed off really early was going up to an enemy, doing one combo, and then doing like 16 flips to get away from them. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, why? (laughs) No one's going to play like that. And if they are, they're going to be very bad at the game. Yeah. Ugh. I'm really excited about the the co-op concept of this game. I I really think that that was like the one thing that I think could have really expanded upon the Arkham games. But I'm also a little bit nervous too because I feel like there's a lot that you have to balance for. And I feel like the way that you do good co-op in brawling segments is, you know, that's that's pretty seamless like how that would go from one player to two. I'm interested in how, like, stealth and more strategic stuff will translate to co-op. Because I have a hard time picturing stealth lending itself well to co-op gameplay. This is going to sound like a weird example, but uh, Rainbow Six Wildlands or any of those ones where it's, like, an open world kind of uh, game. In that... There is a lot of stealth kind of baked into it. I mean, you don't necessarily have to. It kind of seems similar where you have like a stealth option, but you also can just kind of go in guns blazing. But in that game, there was kind of a focus on synchronizing takedowns when you're doing stealth. They would have enemies placed in ways where they could see each other. So you would have to take them out, you know, in very quick succession or they would notice and alert the other enemies. I assume it'll be something similar to that. Yeah. I'm hoping the game scales in some way. Um, having more enemies when you're playing co-op. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. it seems oh, like I'm... you would just steamroll everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there will have there will have some way to up the number of enemies or how mobile they are or something when you're in co-op. I don't, I don't think they should do... Like, I don't want to see just higher enemy health bars. I always hate that. It's such like a cop-out. Yeah. Making the enemies more mobile and maybe like use more squad-based tactics when you're still in stealth mode, I completely am all for. But if they can't do that, just more enemies would be preferable. Yeah. One thing that I really do not like about everything they've shown of Gotham Knights is just Gotham looks extremely bland. I mean, I think they've talked a lot about going for a more realistic Gotham that's kind of got its... uh, hundred year history baked into the city or however many years <laughs> i don't know i mean that's just kind of developer lingo 
I, yeah, I, sure. I haven't really thought too much about what we've seen. I don't think that Arkham City... I mean, a lot of the city is destroyed, and that makes it look interesting. This city isn't necessarily destroyed. Most of the stuff we've seen, I think it, it just kind of looks like standard city stuff to me. It doesn't look significantly better or worse than what I've seen in the other Arkham games. Barring Arkham Knight, which... I, I <laughs> Arkham Knight is so weird. Just, like, the aesthetics they went for, for with the city, because that is not what the city looked like at all in Arkham City. It doesn't use the section of Arkham City at all, which I find pretty funny. Well, I mean, like, even just being able to see parts of the city in the background, like, when you're on top of Wonder Tower, like, there's no way there's yeah. that much neon. Well, I, I think that, like, that neon part is supposed to be built on top of the old section of Gotham, so I assume, like, it's new since then. But also, I think Arkham Knight only takes place, like, nine months after Arkham City, so that just doesn't add up. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, an aesthetic choice. People keep comparing it, though, but I, I really do think the biggest difference when I look at those, like, side-by-side -side screenshots is, one, a lot of the screenshots they pick for comparisons is the middle of Gotham City in Arkham Knight and some random side street in Gotham Knights, <laughs> and they're like... They look it looks so much better, even though this game's older. <laughs> I feel like that's such like such a common problem with games in general now is people will take like the absolute peak moments from a previous game and compare it to the visuals of like a totally benign segment of something we've seen on a new game, and it's just it's always frustrating. But I think it's unfortunately people are already just looking for things to dislike about this game. So I'm sure we're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff. I'm keeping an open mind. Like for sure, I want to like this game because I think it, it has a lot of ideas that I really like. I just can also see some tremendous pitfalls that it could very easily fall into and that some people that have gotten some early hands-on time have already sort of seem to have experienced themselves. So... But a more important question, uh, I think we all got to get into this, but Jackson, who are you going to play as? Nightwing. I have owned a Nightwing wallet for six years. If any of us get to play as Nightwing, it's me. <laughs> if any of us gets to play as Nightwing, it's the one that was a Nightwing fan for the least amount of time, but bought a wallet, so that gives him more credit for some yeah. reason. Do either of you have a Nightwing wallet? I guess if that's the only metric we're going on, then I'm out. I didn't so. think so. So, yeah. I feel like Jordan's read the most Nightwing comics. <laughs> Accurate. In, just in that I've read one entire run of a Nightwing series. Or I don't think many people can say the same. Um, I'm, I'm thinking Batgirl from what I've seen so far. I do like that she kind of has the jack-of-all-trades thing. I like the fact that she is not, like, sort of in a box. Like, I feel like... Uh, Nightwing and Red Hood are. Robin's probably the second choice, but from everything I've seen so far, Batgirl's the standout, in my opinion. I originally was really excited to play as Red Hood, um, but everything they've shown with Red Hood has been incredibly disappointing, honestly. From his weird traversal, <laughs> where he can just jump because he was brought back from the dead... I don't know how yeah, those things come together, but whatever. <laughs> he can yeah. soul jump, apparently. Uh, I, I think I'm definitely going to have to go with Robin. Um, I like the stealth gameplay of the Arkham games, and he's supposedly the most geared towards stealth. 
but also I like his costumes the best. So <laughs> I just tend to be big fan of characters that are very acrobatic and move around a lot. So naturally big Nightwing fan. So I'm not asking you all what you all are like. What's your predictions for like your review of Gotham Knights is going to be. But what do you think the public reception of Gotham Knights is going to be? I think even if it is good, just because it seems so many people just hate it because it's not an Arkham game, I feel like public reception won't be great, which is stupid, but I see it happening. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to have I think it's going to have fairly low sales compared to a lot of previous Arkham stuff um, because a lot of Arkham fans have already written it off. But even still, I don't think it's going to like excel at anything anyways i think that there are people like me that really like loot-based rpgs and like really like rigid progression systems like i i think that like there are people like me that it's going to appeal to but i think that this is gonna i'm expecting a lot of like six and sevens out of ten <laughs> when the like final reviews start rolling around i think it'll be received almost exactly the same as arkham origins I could kind of see that, which Origins at a 76 on Metacritic, so, you know, a lot of, most of it fell in, like, the 7 to 8 range in the final review scores, like... I'm guessing that it's going to get a score between 75 and 78. <laughs> I'm thinking a little bit lower than that. I'm thinking it'll be, like, 71 to 74. I'm thinking, like, 74 to 76. So, yeah, I think, like, I can comfortably say it's going to be a 70-something on Metacritic. I think it's going to be pretty low, on, lower on that end, though. I, I think generally people are going to receive it adequately. I mean, it's not going to be it's not gonna be as, as highly revered as, like, the Arkham games, but, you know, if you're comparing it to other loot-based shooters that have come out recently, it's not going to be an Outriders either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think one thing that really sums up Gotham Knights is at the very least, I have some hope for it, which I cannot say about the next game we're going to talk about. Sonic Frontiers looks like it's going to be a train wreck on a level we haven't seen since maybe 2006. And there is a dark part of me that's really hoping for that. <laughs> I don't know the last time I saw a game that like, the moment they showed any gameplay, I was just like, wow, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I think it looks, and this is going to be a pretty controversial take, uh, especially after hearing you guys, uh, fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it looks particularly bad. I, I mean, I think like the world design isn't great, but gameplay-wise, I think it looks better than any of the more recent Sonic games, so... When this game was first revealed, which was at like E3 or uh, Game Awards or something, and we saw Sonic running through like the big open fields with all this like huge stone architecture. He was in like a giant map, which we don't historically see. Like right then and there, I was like, okay, this could be really cool. And as we saw more of it, my interest just got thinner and thinner. And while I'm still... I still hope, I guess, I guess I, I'm going to immediately call myself a liar on this one. Like, I still hope this is a good game. I just, 
I'm not seeing the pieces lining up here. I I mean, I don't love 3D Sonic games to begin with, so maybe I'm just the wrong person for this game in general. But it just seems like the game is so disjointed for some reason. And part of that is the visual designs. Like like you were talking about, Like the, the worlds look kind of funky. Because there's like hyper-realistic elements, and then there are just like random Sonic mainstays like grind rails and jump pads floating around above them like it's it's very unusual i think uh it's a difficult one to talk about as the resident sonic fan of this podcast i'm hopeful right uh (laughs) my problem with it and this is this is gonna sound a little weird is um the cyberspace stuff that they've shown off where it's revisiting stuff from previous sonic games this is like the fifth Sonic game in a row that is just looking back on Sonic's history. Right. And Sonic's right. history is 90% garbage. Yeah. There have been three, no, four good Sonic games. Sonic 2, Sonic 3, Sonic Adventure 1, and Sonic Adventure 2. And every other Sonic game, every other mainline, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the console ones. Yeah. The handheld ones are kind of all over the place. They're generally all right. But... I mean, if we're talking mainline Sonic games, there are four good ones and all the other ones are garbage. Yeah. I'm just kind of tired of looking back on Sonic's history. I want to see Sonic do something new. And the open world thing seems pretty interesting. So I'm I'm hopeful on that front. I kind of hope they've found a better way since what we've seen originally to kind of work those sonic elements like grind rails and stuff into the environment in a way that doesn't look really weird but also i mean how much does it really matter to the quality of a game (laughs) you know if it's fun to ride those grind rails and whatever does it really matter that much that they look weird against the the terrain yeah and i think a big problem so far is we've seen them just like in the background of scenes but we haven't seen a lot of what it actually looks like to engage with those areas because i'm sure they're leading to something or they're built into some specific gameplay mechanic that we just haven't seen yet i think that if i had to guess the open world is going to be mostly fighting which is kind of weird for a sonic game and puzzles and then you're going to go into like the cyberspace or whatever that's what i've heard people call it i don't know if that's like the official name or not but i assume that's going to be more traditional sonic levels where you're probably it's probably going to be like the same way that you controlled sonic in generations and forces and whatever yeah i could see that i do think that it's it's cool at least conceptually that they're changing up how combat works this time around. Because I think that's one thing that Sonic's always sort of... It's not something that's always done poorly, but it's something that's always felt kind of weird because, generally speaking, you want to keep up that momentum. You don't want to stop to fight something. And the only good combat, in my opinion, in 3D Sonic games are just the random stray enemies that are just kind of thrown there for you to, like... Um, homing attack on to keep yourself moving. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The ones that actually require stopping and hitting them in a certain way. And then like some of the bosses where you have to hit the same weak spot over and over again, like never been a fan of that. So at least they're like trying to do something where you're actually stopping to fight big enemies, but it's still like quick and you're still moving. 
I think it's a pretty smart way to handle combat for Sonic. I mean, it's on the one hand, it just seems like you draw circles a lot. <laughs> but on <laughs> yeah. the other hand, it is based around keeping Sonic moving, which is right. his whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if drawing circles, I mean, I guess that's more engaging than the previous combat, which was press A twice. Right. Um, yeah. I'm not I'm not necessarily going to complain if they can make circles engaging, then that's that's a thumbs up from me. <laughs> now, Jackson, you haven't really played much of the 3D Sonic games at all, have you? No, I really like the character of Sonic and the other Sonic characters. But I've never really played a Sonic game at all. <laughs> like, yeah. I played a good bit of uh, Sonic Adventure 2, like, when we had it on the original Xbox. But, like, I was so young that most of the time I didn't know what I was doing and didn't know how to create a save file. So I just kept doing the same first mission over and over again. Which, granted... Well, that's the best part of pretty the game. Good, it's a pretty good mission to do over and over again. <laughs> but it yeah. took me years to figure out that that game... Uh, Ends in space fighting a serpent while you're Goku. Yeah. So I don't really have an experience of Sonic games other than uh, just finding the character cool. I'm really excited to hear your take on Sonic Frontiers. Because, like, Jason and I are naturally going to go in with a lot of preconceived ideas about what 3D Sonic are. Or 3D Sonic is. 3D Sonic games are. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, where you're going to come in a lot fresher than than we are, which I'm I'm really excited to see. Like I I'm I'm already like prepping myself for when we get these games to not talk to you about it until you've played at least several hours, <laughs> and specifically to not imbue any views on it to you until I know what you think. Like I don't know what a typical 3D Sonic game is like, but everything I've seen of this looks like garbage, <laughs> and I'm so excited for it. Yeah, that's the thing is I might have a lot of negative thing to say. I am very excited about this game because I think that I think that of the four games, it's probably the one that I'm going to have the strongest feelings about in general, positive or negative. It doesn't matter necessarily if a Sonic game is good or bad because it's still going to have the vibes. Yeah, that is one thing it consistently knocks out of the park. Not always in a consistently good or good or bad way, but just like you know, they're gonna be wild. <laughs> My favorite part of Sonic is the butt rock. Yeah, I hope there's plenty of that. So, what do you guys think is going to actually end up happening with Sonic Frontiers? Are we thinking it's gonna be a Sonic 06 situation where it got a whopping 46 on Metacritic or something more like Sonic Adventure 2 where it got all the way up to an 89. I mean, I have to start by saying Sonic 06 is a bad game. It's not a 46 bad. It was just horribly broken. And he kissed a human. I guess they could have fixed that. I, I don't know. Kissing the human is weird and definitely shouldn't have been in the game, but it's not something that just makes a game bad on its own. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like he probably kissed a human in that Bioware RPG, too. That's I a mean, good I'm just guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, the more important thing is, like, Sonic 06 is so reviled because of just how absolutely rushed and broken it is. Yeah. And you can tell every stage of the game 
that the game <laughs> that it's just inherently broken and something is wrong with it. And I don't think this game will be that bad. Do I think it'll be as good as Sonic Adventure 2 or even any of the original 3 Sonic games? No. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah. Uh if I had to guess, I hate to say it, I think it's also going to be in the 70s. <laughs> I think Gotham Knights is going to be a significantly better game than Sonic Frontiers. I think they are going to be like their metacritic, you know, combined <laughs> scores are going to be very similar i think it's going to still be in the 70s because people just expect sonic games to not be very good at this point also people are cowards and they refuse to give actual negative scores yeah yeah it's a 10 point system or a 10 point scale and we use five points on it so essentially i'm a i'm slightly lower on what i'm expecting on metacritic i'm thinking it'll be something in like the 65 to 68 range because i think it's going i think this game will have at least a few of those genuinely abysmal scores but i do think you're right that the average the average game like critic review score being a seven isn't going to break for this game i just think we will see at least a few folks that just downright despise this game and don't don't hide it (laughs) uh but sonic fans are a wily bunch that's true. And there will there be a few one hundreds. Yeah. There's gonna be some perfect scores on this game, even if like even if you like went to start this game and it broke your console, there would still be some confusing Sonic fans that would give it a perfect score. <laughs> Jackson, what you thinking? I'm thinking low sixties. I I don't everything they've shown of this game, I don't know how it could be good. Like I think I think there can maybe be some good things in it, but the whole selling point that they've had is that this is going to be an open world Sonic game, and the open world part looks awful. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I I really think the open world this looks fine. I mean, it's supposed to be an abandoned island. I, well, I you can still have abandoned without being bland. There are ruins all over the place. <laughs> There's weird floating uh, grind rails. You ever see that in nature? Yeah, but it all looks out of place. Checkmate. No, you're right. Uh, for reference, Sonic Forces got a 57, or has a 57 as its meta score. That's much lower than I realized. I just looked up Sonic 1, or Sonic the Hedgehog 2006, and Sonic Adventure 2, because I knew they were the lowest and the highest from our from our last Sonic episode. So God of War Ragnarok. The reason I say this one's tough to talk about is that like if you gave me a list of every game that was going to come out this year at the beginning of this year, this is the one I would have been most confident is going to be not just a good game, but a great game. I think I I recently replayed God of War uh, the, the 2018 game and even playing through it a second time, that game is still freaking phenomenal. I think it has the second best combat I've ever played in a video game, second only to Sekiro. And I think it tells an absolutely incredible story because it is the redemption arc of a character that we saw do absolutely heinous things for almost 20 years. (laughs) Like, I think it had so much going for it that I think that God of War Ragnarok will continue that in a in a good way 
but also I don't know how they go bigger and bolder than that. I don't know how you follow up God of War 2018, which is really surprising because if you spoke to me in early 2018 and you told me that one of the games that people are going to be talking about for the next five years (laughs) is a God of War game, I would never have believed it. Just because, like, I mean, the God of War games were always kind of a mainstay of the PlayStation lineup, uh, at least the the three main ones, and even Ascension to a point, but, like, nobody really cared that much, (laughs) at least no one that I knew. They were games that people would really like and basically forget about as soon as they finished. I mean, they were just... They had, like, an interesting story and an interesting, like, world, but fairly generic hack and slash. <laughs> yeah. In a yeah. lot of ways. Um, I think they're, like, weirdly difficult, uh, at least the first two, and some of the puzzles are a little... Some of them will be just way too easy, and then other ones are just like, how am I supposed to figure that out? You, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. 90s adventure game, almost. I mean, nowhere near that bad, but, <laughs> like... Some, some like, obscure thinking. Yeah. But then God of War 3 came out and was just, like, a completely... I mean, God of War 3 is a really good game. Yeah. But it's definitely a game from the past. And God of War 2018 is bringing it into the present in a lot of ways that I think primarily what I have to say is I would not have expected from God of War. God of War 2018 is good in a way that is confusing more than anything else. The fact that that's even the same characters in the same world is absolutely insane. Because after I replayed God of War, I went back and played the first four or five hours of God of War 3 just to, like, you know, remind myself of the comparison. And it's it's a totally different beast. Like, everything about it is a fundamentally different game. And then it's crazy because, like, I already really liked God of War 3. Like, at the time, I really looked at it as, like, the perfect sequel to that game. And then this game just comes and blows everything about it, its own history, out of the water. Like, it's, it's astronomical. Like, the fact that God of War 2018 only has a 94 on Metacritic is insane to me. Like, I assumed it was, like, a 98 type thing i mean this game ign last year did a poll of the best game of all time like fan voted and god of war won like head and shoulders over most of its competition like this is a huge game and almost everyone that has played it has loved it and i think that that's sort of its own worst enemy going into the sequel because i think people are going to really like god of war ragnarok but also like you can't go that big a second time Like, you can't improve upon yourself that much every time. Yeah. Well, it's also, it came out of nowhere, because nobody, there was a God of War game just a couple years before that no one cared about. Yeah. Did you play God of War Ascension? I did. I did. I liked it a lot. You're the only person I know that played God of War Ascension. (laughs) I'm not joking. I didn't play it until PlayStation Now, like, let me play it on the PS4. I did not play it at release. You're still the only person I know that's ever played God of War Ascension. <laughs> yeah. And then 
the sequel to God of War Ascension. Well, I mean, I think Ascension's a prequel to the main it's a prequel. series. Yeah. But whatever. Like, the next game to come out in that franchise is one that people say is the greatest game of all time. <laughs> but what, what's really crazy to me about God of War 2018 is that it makes sense. <laughs> like, right. it's definitely an arc that I... It's something that you... When you're playing the older God of War games, you probably never think about Kratos, you know, calming down and feeling like regret for his actions. Probably because you assume he's going to get killed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, was, I like, was never so confident a protagonist was going to die as I was in Kratos dying in God of War 3. I saw no other outcome. It was so obvious that it was going to go this way. But I still don't think anyone expected it. <laughs> Because, like, where do you go from there? He won. He finished his goal. And as far as we knew as fans at the time, that was just it. The world ended. I mean, like, the gods were dead and there was no longer... I mean, that meant they were no longer torturing people, but it also meant there was no one protecting order. I mean, Kratos essentially drowned humanity. And, like, where do you go from there? (laughs) And they figured it out, and it was even better than what we had before. You go to a different universe. Basically, I don't think it's a different universe. I, well, I like think different that realm. Yeah, I I still think it just takes place on Earth. He's just makes sense in like Norway. So Jackson, I know this was this was a game that was on your like favorite games of all time when we discussed it on our fiftieth episode. So I'm I'm really really interested to see your take on this. Like, how do you think this will stack up to? How do you think God of War Ragnarok will stack up to God of War 2018? I think it can easily be as good as 2018. I don't know if it can be better, but I also don't think it needs to be better. I think God of War, like, I think there's already so much of a good foundation for this to be a good game because, like, we already know that the combat in the first one was great and they can continue doing that, add a few more things to spice it up and people will still love it. And we know that Santa Monica are pretty good at making stories in games. So pretty, you know, I mean, I don't have any doubts that they won't make as good as a story as 2018 did. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call Sony's Santa Monica like an expert story crafting company. They're no naughty dog. For all we know, God of War could be a fluke. (laughs) Because like, I don't think God of War, I don't think the old ones are as well written as 2018. No, definitely not. And I think the first three sort of had this through line of they just learned the core history of these different gods and these different mythological creatures, and they were just like, okay, now how do we vaguely use those backstories to put them in Kratos' way? And that was it. Like, that was yeah. as far as the story went. I, I feel game, like the story was just kind of like what you just said. It, it was just to kind of string fights together. Because ultimately, Kratos' character in those games is angry. That is all he is. (laughs) He's angry, and he's so angry that he's going to kill everyone that even was remotely involved with making him angry, and also anyone that gets in his way. And also just anyone that happens to be near the people that made him angry. (laughs) Uh, And then all of Athens as well. (laughs) Yeah. What a dude. Yeah. So... I think I want to kick us off on the the discussion about like our, our bets for its reception with saying that unfortunately there are always going to be people 
and I've already seen these people in the comment sections of God of War Ragnarok content, there are going to be people that think that every sequel has to reinvent the wheel. There are people that get angry. There were people that were angry that uh, Horizon Forbidden West reused assets of Aloy like jumping off of towers from from Horizon 1. And I think that this game is clearly going to reuse a lot of concepts. I don't think the combat's going to be crazy different, even though we've already seen there's at least like one significant new mechanic with how abilities work. But like, I think that there are going to be just enough people that think that this game doesn't reinvent itself or in a, like they think it would need to reinvent itself that I think it's going to do worse in review scores, but not significantly. Like, I think it's going to be in, like, the 87 to 90 range in what it actually ends up with. Eh. I don't feel like it's going to be... I don't think the story in Ragnarok is going to be as good as God of War 2018. Um, I started God of War 2018 over from the beginning uh, just a couple days ago. And I, I played, like, an hour, a couple hours, and... The game's just like so good and so emotional and so good at setting tone. But it is like a very somber tone. I I don't, I don't know how you follow that up. Yeah. And that is I the think, one place where I would say it needs to, you know, kind of reinvent the wheel a little bit. I would love to see them outdo themselves, but I don't think it's possible. And I don't think it's just because like, I don't think Santa Monica isn't good enough to do so. I think it's just because God of War is too good <laughs> like that's like that's like telling van gogh to like make a better starry night i think that i think that the story won't be quite as ambitious as the first one was i do think it'll be bigger though like i think it's gonna have bigger action set pieces i think it's gonna have bigger stakes right like i think that that stuff will be i think it i think it'll still have you know i think it'll be bigger than the last game I just don't think it'll necessarily be better because I think that scale isn't necessarily what God of War needed. It was making God of War 2018 so intimate that made it better than the previous games because the previous games already had the scale. Like we already mm. saw that. I mean, fighting like the Titans in God of War 2 is insane. I mean, like it's a fight so big that they are both the enemy and the stage itself. <laughs> like we've already gotten that. I think there's also a very cool direction for Ragnarok to go. Because, like, by the end of God of War, Kratos is a lot more caring and compassionate. Still not much, but, like, a lot more than he was at the beginning of the game. And he's... I mean, his son's going to turn against him in this one. Right. And I think the whole game is going to be about trying to stop that. Which I think is a pretty interesting place to go. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I do think Loki is pretty pretty instrumental in triggering Ragnarok, right? Pretty sure, yeah. But I think another place that it seems to be going that is interesting to me is I think it'll be about, you know, obviously actively trying to prevent Ragnarok, which is a very interesting direction considering you spend the main, like the original like trilogy of God of War games basically making the Greek Ragnarok. And now Kratos has to stop it from happening to a different like pantheon. Of I, I don't think so. I think that you're going to be the Ragnarok. 
I I don't know. Everything they've shown so far kind of makes it seem like you're you're going to be at odds with the the Nordic pantheon. It kind of seems I mean, maybe they've just been kind of playing us, but it, it definitely seems like Thor and Odin are going to be the major antagonist of this game, as well as Freya. The way I kind of see it going is that the gods this time are not after you, but are after Atreus. Like, I think, I think like, they're after you. I think they'll know that Atreus has something to do with the bringing of Ragnarok, and they'll be trying to stop him. Maybe that'll be like a twist. I feel like the majority of the game is going to be trying to take down Kratos for killing Baldur. That also is a good direction. Well, at least that's at least what Freya is trying to do. I don't know about the other people, but that is definitely what Freya is trying to do. I mean, Thor is Baldur's brother, right? Yeah, but I think they're supposed to like hate each other. <laughs> yeah, but you know, even if you hate, I, I still feel like it's going to be Thor. I, I feel like his primary role is probably going to be getting revenge on Kratos. Right. It'll be one of those whole, I was supposed to do that, whatever. Yeah, but the way I kind of see it going is that Kratos will be at odds Maybe with Maybe I'm himself. just assuming this will be really tropey, yeah. and it won't be. Because well, I, I see Kratos being at odds with himself, because I think like the Norse gods will be after Atreus to keep Ragnarok from happening. So Kratos, as a father wants to protect Atreus, but he also realizes that, like, Atreus is going to be the bringing of Ragnarok, so he has to protect his son, who is also the bringing of the end for the Norse pantheon. Like, he won't want the Rag he won't want Ragnarok to happen, but he realizes that he'd, like, have to stop his son to keep that from happening. And you'll basically, and Kratos will basically just be at odds with himself over that for the the whole game. All right, but here's the big thing: which one of them's gonna die at the end? Atreus. I'm already I'm yeah, confident. I'm, yeah, I really see it coming. <laughs> all right, so we all think, and we all specifically think Kratos is gonna have to kill him, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Because I think that I think it's both what it's leading to narratively from the first game, but also like, I think that that would be, I think that that is sort of the necessary evil that would need to sort of put a fire under Kratos for future games. I'm of two minds. I, I, I think that either Kratos is going to kill Atreus. I I think one of them is going to kill the other for sure is my, my big thing for the ending. I mean, reminder that like Kratos could theoretically die. He's died before. Yeah. And then escaped from Hades. I, I don't know if he would just go to Helheim or what if he died again, but What and, could be cool is if you if you actually have to somehow kill Kratos as Atreus, and then a future game is Atreus going into Helheim to bring him back. Um, I would really like to see what a game where you play as Atreus looks like, but I don't think they're going to do it. I think it's going to end with Kratos has to kill Atreus in some way, and somehow that decision is going to be the inciting action for wherever Kratos goes in the future games. I'm thinking probably Egypt. Yeah, that'd be a pretty cool one to go to. Because they set up sort of three more places he could go with Egypt... Japan and um, 
Oh, I'm blanking on the other one. There's a lot of there's a lot of symbolism for three different cultures in God of War 2018, and I can't. I thought the fourth the one. Was. I thought it was just maybe the, the two th- we've th- already seen. Yeah, maybe. And that's then what the maybe there are four. The Egyptians and two. the Japanese, or I think that would make sense. But I, I think it's going to be Kratos is going to kill Atreus, and then somehow that will lead to the decision for him to go to wherever the next realm he's going to is. Oh, um, maybe Kratos kills Atreus, but then he has to go to the uh, Egyptian afterlife to get him back. That'd be interesting. That would be pretty cool. Because he, because he'll kill uh, Hela first. This game's gonna hurt. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Even if the story is not as good as God of War 2018, which probably won't be, I'm still expecting it to be pretty heavy. Hear me out. He kills all of the the Norse gods in this game. And then the next game, he's just like, ah, I'm going to Egypt to get away from all this. But then the god of death... uh, I think Osiris. uh, Osiris is really mad at him. Because every time he's killed one of the gods of (laughs) the underworld in a different pantheon, all of their undead or whatever, all of their... All of the denizens Mm. of hell (laughs) go to his place. Yeah. It was Anubis, not Osiris. Yeah. And that'd be a way that he could like potentially run into people he has already killed in previous games, which would be pretty wild. Somehow it turns into Odin and Zeus teaming up to kill him. <laughs> Man, this series has so much potential. It's wild. And like like you said, if you had told me that five years ago, I would have thought that was flat out insane. Yeah, I, I just need to stress again for people that you know really like God of War 2018 but haven't played the old ones. Let me let me look up the exact date. Date. <laughs> like you can't. God of War Ascension play. came out in 2013, and no one cared. And then five years later, the next game in the franchise was the biggest game of all time. <laughs> I hope that I hope after Ragnarok they make a prequel to God of War 2018 that no one plays. No one's gonna play Ragnarok. I pretty much have had it in my head since I played Elden Ring that the only real contenders for this year's game of the year are Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok. And that's without even playing God of War Ragnarok. Like, that's the only game that I even think is competition for Elden Ring. I feel like I said something really early this year was my game of the year, and I can't remember what it was. Pokemon Arceus. (laughs) Maybe the re-release of... uh... No, that was last year, wasn't it? The Disco Elysium Final Cut. Yeah, that was last year. That's my game of the year for last year. Yeah. But uh Dying Light 2. <laughs> yep, that's it. That's the one we're all going to look back on so fondly. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm the only one in this group that even really liked Dying Light 2 that much. I have been meaning to play it again. I just haven't got I, around I, to I'm not going to play it again. I'm not going to play like the story again. I'll I'll probably play the the DLC. Well, I I, I didn't even get close to beating the story. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. Well, Let's get y'all's Metacritic guesses before we move on. So like I said, I'm thinking somewhere in like the 87 to 90 range. So like a little bit worse than the first game, but not by a big margin. I'm thinking 90 to 94. All right. So looking at God of War 3, it got a 92. God of War 2018 got a 94. I'm going to split the difference. 60. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. This is it's gonna it's gonna release to some just horrific reviews. Another thing I don't think we considered that might hurt this game 
is the fact that the first trailer, or at least the first trailer that showed new characters, had not one, but two new women in it. So there's like a whole part of the internet now that I'm sure is like already turned on this game on some level. All right, so God of War Ragnarok. The score on November 10th, 54. (laughs) The score on like November 15th, uh, 93. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we got one more game to talk about. And I'm really excited this is going to be the last game we talk about of 2022. Uh, because if you know me, you know that I love me some Pokemon. But that I have loved recent Pokemons <laughs> less than some of the old Pokemon games. Which I know is partially because um, I I grew up, <laughs> but on some level it has also been Pokemon's fear of sort of evolving itself, which is ironic because evolution is such a big part of Pokemon games. It's like um, those um, it was like a really old Penny Arcade comic or something like that, where it was this kid growing up, and it was you know when they were really little they loved Pokemon, and then in like elementary and middle school they loved pokemon and then in high school they were like no i'm way too cool for it and then in college though they love pokemon again oh it's 100 percent what i did like diamond and pearl and black and white were sort of at that point where i was being like i'm too cool for pokemon but then x and y released when i was in college and those were pretty universally like low points for the games but i still love them because that was when I like got back into Pokemon. They also added Mega Evolutions, which I still oh, yeah, think is which, the coolest thing that they've done yeah. to the combat in the game. Universally the coolest like gimmick there's ever been in a Pokemon game. But Scarlet and Violet, coming out in November, they're the first games that I think are really outside of the norm, even outside of their gimmick. Their gimmick is actually very similar to the last couple of gimmicks. But this game is fundamentally the most different. This is probably the, like like the biggest jump that the game that the series has made. Period. Just in terms of it's now open world. They've gotten into entirely new catching and battling mechanics. They took a lot from Let's Go or uh, Legends um, and like adapted it to the mainline games. Like this is probably the closest thing we're going to get to an honest like change to the Pokemon formula. <laughs> And I still don't know if it's enough, but I like what I've seen a lot. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for this one. I liked Sword and Shield, which I I know is like a a fairly unpopular opinion. Although I didn't play it until after the DLC was out, so I I don't know. Maybe that helped. (laughs) Um, But Sword and Shield is probably the most I've played of a Pokemon game since X and Y. Um, Because like I did with X and Y... I decided I was going to try to put together a living Pokedex. (laughs) And obviously, I did give up before completing it. I guess I just more put it on the back burner, and it's just like... I I just kind of accepted it was going to be a years-long project instead of something I was just going to do over the course of, like, a few months. Right. But more importantly, like, I still played a lot of Sword and Shield. I, I was playing it every day for several months. And I I really enjoyed it, but the past Pokemon games before that, 
uh, I think Sun and Moon was the one that was right before it. Or well, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. But I hated those games. <laughs> it was so weird because that was the first Pokemon game that I ever just put down. Because I was like, I'm not having fun with this game. And as of yet, it's the only Pokemon game I've ever just put down for that reason. I, like, I thought Sun and Moon were just so aggressively bad. And it was so weird because, I mean, like, generally people said a lot of positive stuff about it. And then Sword and Shield came out and everyone was saying, like, super negative stuff about it. So I avoided it for quite a while. And then I picked it up and... I really enjoyed it. Like I thought <laughs> it was one of the better ones I'd played in a while. Maybe part of that's just the switch to being on the switch instead of the DS or handhelds. But I, I definitely enjoy Pokemon a lot more sitting on my couch, playing it on my TV than I ever did playing it a handheld. <laughs> Jackson, you kind of started with X and Y, didn't you? Yeah. So I think it was Pokemon either white two or black two. One of the two was the first one I really had, but like I didn't really understand what I was doing half the time. So I never really got too into it. And then I lost it on a trip to Tennessee. So the first Pokemon game that I was like really into and actually beat and actually paid attention to was Pokemon X and Y, which were really good. I loved them a lot. And then there was mega, uh, mega Ruby Alpha Sapphire Sun and Moon was all right. Never played uh, Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon. But uh, Sword and Shield, I did not really enjoy that much. They they were definitely the time that I started to like drift away from the series. Uh, I still beat whichever one I had, but never really had any plans on going back to it like I did in any of the other games. Now, Pokemon Legends Arceus, which is definitely like a good bit different than the previous ones. That is one that I just eventually just put down because I just was not having fun with it. I did really enjoy Pokemon Legends Arceus, like the whole way through the story, at least. But it is one that I I don't really have any uh, like want to go back to it. <laughs> um, as weird as it sounds. I think it's probably the focus on catching Pokemon a lot to complete the Pokedex and stuff like that, if you actually want to get Arceus. But I, I just kind of feel like I got everything out of Pokemon Legends Arceus that I'm really going to get out of it. I don't really know what to expect of this game as far as the minute-to-minute -minute goes. Like, I think a lot of the changes they've they've talked about make sense and are the right direction. But it's also tough because what I liked about Arceus didn't even really end up being the things I expected to like about it. The just the feel of the game was actually what what really sold me, and how you spent your time felt more valuable than a lot of previous Pokemon games. I really hope that that's retained in this game, but mm -hmm. I also know that it's bringing back a lot of like, you know, like like Arceus got rid of abilities for whatever reason, so it's bringing that back, which is cool. I I think that there were a lot of things that were kind of stripped from Arceus just due to time or budget constraints or something, which I get. I still really liked it overall. Um, and I think that that was sort of what renewed my interest in Pokemon because replaying Diamond and Pearl last year was, I mean, it was fine, but it also reminded me that like these games have been the same for 20 years. <laughs> and even if this game fails horribly, I'm so glad they're at least shaking it up. Like, I I would not be shocked in the slightest if this game fails on every front. 
but I'm at least glad they're doing something different because it's been long overdue. <laughs> I was fairly positive about the remakes of uh, Diamond and Pearl. But yeah, kind of looking back, I think my biggest issue with it is that it didn't add anything, which I, I still think I didn't play Heart Gold and Soul Silver. And I, I've, I believe that one added the most. <laughs> and then also it was just the biggest game anyways, since it had all of Gen 1 inside of it as well. Yeah. But like Alpha Sapphire and Omega Ruby were really good and like actually sure. made tangible changes to the game and then added a lot of post-game stuff that just wasn't there in uh, Saf- Ruby and Sapphire. But the Diamond and Pearl remakes just, it, it was just Diamond and Pearl again. There was no- nothing new there, including like literally having the same events for Pokemon. <laughs> like, uh, you can't get Shaman or, or Darkrai anymore because they were event Pokemon just like they were the first time. And it was an event that happened once and it's never going to happen again, most likely. Uh, so if you didn't get Darkrai or Shaman, sorry, you're never going to legitimately get one. Because <laughs> I don't believe they've returned in any games since then, except for Pokemon Legends Arceus, where you can't transfer them out. Yeah, the Pokemon franchise has just made so many weird decisions about gating a lot of these Pokemon and I know it's like, I get why on some level, like you want there to be that intentional level of rareness, but also like they're assets in a video game. <laughs> like there is no physical tangible object for there to be that uh, like rare value associated with. And I don't know. I feel like, I feel like that's what's sort of hurt my decision to ever pursue, like to never pursue the, the that like the national decks and stuff. I have caught every Pokemon there is to catch in a single game multiple times, but I've never even come close to the national decks in any of them. I tell you, the biggest thing that helped me with the national decks was Pokemon Go. Yeah, that that does come in handy. But I, I don't know. Maybe we should talk more about Scarlet and Violet, because we've just been talking <laughs> about the franchise as a whole for the most part. Yeah, yeah. This one does seem like it's retaining a lot of stuff from Pokemon Legends Arceus. It, it almost... And there's no way, because... There wasn't enough time. It it almost feels like Pokemon Legends Arceus was just a test to see if those things are well received. Yeah. We're we're yeah. gonna find out in a few years that like actually there were two different versions of Scarlet and Violet <laughs> in right. the works. There was one that was just exactly like Sword and Shield, and then there was this one that took a lot from Legends Arceus, and they were like, Well, Legends Arceus sold well and people liked it, so we're going with this one. <laughs> I think that it has a lot of cool ideas about just how it's changing up progression in general but i'm really curious how it's going to balance like level scaling with pokemon and stuff because if you can go to any gym in any order are the gyms going to be harder or easier based on the number of pokemon you have or the number of badges you've gotten or your average level or is there just going to be like basically a correct path even though it's open world like you could hypothetically fight the eighth one first but they're going to have you know level 70 pokemon or whatever like I would really hope that it scales based on how many badges you have That's what I'm expecting more so than anything I think that makes the most sense and honestly I think it'd be the easiest thing to do like just give each of the eight gym leaders a different team or at the very least a different level for their team based on how many badges you have, which actually in fiction is what happens. Well, yeah, well, they've done that in past games, I believe. Not um, not gym leaders, obviously, 
But I believe that there are like trainers in previous games where the level of your Pokemon affected what their team looked like yeah. on some level. Yeah. Whether it be like additional Pokemon added to their teams or just higher level versions of the same ones. But I'm I can't think of an exact example, but I, I'm like ninety percent certain it's been done before. <laughs> I also really like what they're calling the let's go mechanic, which is basically just like you throw out a Pokemon and it just goes about its business. Like it fights Pokemon and encounters and collects items that it comes across and it just does it all on its own. They were like, people aren't walking anymore. We can't use the Poke Walker this time. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that could be kind of kind of a cool concept. I also like how um, it showed a new type of battle where you have to fight like a whole gang of trainers, and you're just having to throw out like Pokemon after Pokemon. It almost was like an auto battler vibe to it. Um, so that's kind of cool. I think that that could be interesting if it's if it's done correctly. They've really been hyping up the fact that the game has essentially three stories. I don't know that that's going to work the way they're promising, but you know, at least we know there's going to be diverse content. But basically, you're going to have a story which is just your regular fight all the gym leaders, you know, become Pokemon master type thing. And then you're going to have a storyline where you're taking on like the bad guy gang, which in this case are just like unruly students. And then you're going to have a a treasure hunt thing where you're searching for rare items and they've promised that you will encounter very large and very powerful versions of existing Pokemon um, as part of that, which I think like that could be something that leads to like the legendaries or whatever Pokemon and you have like your main story or you're like your villain gang, which is going to turn into like an evil plot thing. Like it always does in Pokemon. Like, um, I think there are going to be things we've already seen in other Pokemon games. They're just going to separate them out and let you do them in any order, which, you know, is still cool, even if it's not as bold as they're making it out to be in the advertising. I just want them to add something as fun as flying around on Latios and Latias <laughs> in Alpha Sapphire and Omega Ruby. That was really cool. Um, and it, it looks like you're able to ride a motorcycle Pokemon Quite a bit, at least in the wild areas in this game. So that that's kind of exciting. <laughs> I just I hope it's interesting because I, I felt like the the Pokemon that you could travel with in Legends Arceus could be fun, but some of them felt a little too limited. Yeah, for sure. And you didn't the fact that it gave you separate ones for things like climbing, and then there was one that was just used for like sniffing out items was was very weird. Like there's a and then flying there was one. the flying one that just <laughs> yeah. completely broke everything. Yeah, Jackson, we haven't heard from you in a bit. What are what are you thinking about Scarlet and Violet so far? I don't know. I think there are a lot of good changes coming, but I just like, and I'm definitely going to give it a shot, uh, mostly because we have to review it for the podcast. Um, but I don't know. I just haven't been able to get into Pokemon recently and just already not being a big fan of turn-based combat. I just don't know if it'll happen again. But I, I do think there are still a lot of good changes coming. I think the whole like open world thing is a good change. My biggest problem with the like the most recent few Pokemon games has just been how closed off everything is. Like I felt like I haven't been able to really go exploring and looking for Pokemon. Like felt like, you know, I'll get confined to this like one route for like the next hour of the game and that not happening i think is a pretty good change 
I, I hope that the wild areas, or I don't know, I don't think they're called wild areas in this game, but yeah, it's just the whole map now. Yeah, I hope it's as varied as the wild areas could be in Sword and Shield. Because I really liked having kind of a rotating selection of Pokemon in all of these different areas and like stuff like weather patterns would decide which Pokemon spawn. I think that's pretty cool. I would also like maybe a way to control what weather pattern <laughs> is in a specific area. Cause I, I, I felt like it could be a little annoying. I'm not saying like necessarily the whole game, but definitely at the end of the game, it would be really annoying to be hunting for a specific Pokemon. And then it's like, Oh, it only spawns in one area. In two weeks. <laughs> I remember distinctly in Sword and Shield to get Dragapult, uh, the game pseudo-legendary. He only spawns in one very small area. During thunderstorms. <laughs> like, it's the craziest thing. And even then had a really low spawn rate, even within that. So, like, I think that's cool. Like, it, I think it adds, like, a level of, like, you really gotta work for it. But it also, it's one of those things where it's so easily manipulated with just like the, the system setting. So like, why not just give people a way to manipulate it in game? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what I mean. I I know like, and I, I did it to get some of the Pokemon Sword and Shield to just reset your calendar on your Switch. But just put something in game where I can say it's this weather in this area. Even if it's an item, I don't care. I'll do that. Yeah. Like I said, I would like to like this Pokemon game, but I've just been I've been very out of the loop of Pokemon in general for a while now and just don't really know most of the stuff going on with this one. I've seen a few things and they look like pretty cool significant changes, but I I'll just have to see if it's enough to make me feel like playing a turn-based game. <laughs> He's in that third panel phase. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get there. <laughs> I think that this meta score <laughs> is going to be uh, freaking 80 to 87. So every mainline Pokemon game, at least that there have been traditional reviews for, which the first two gens didn't get Metacritic scores for their original releases. But every mainline game since Gen 3 and every sequel since Gen 3 has gotten between an 80 and an 87 <laughs> on Metacritic. Uh, the only exceptions are for the remakes, Diamond and Pearl just missed the mark. And for the sequels, Emerald got a 78 for some reason, even though it was in every way better than Ruby and Sapphire. <laughs> so we can pretty confidently say it's going to fall between 80 and an 87. But I'm still willing to bet it's going to be the higher end of that. I'm thinking 85 to 87. Like, I think that this is going to be slightly above average by Pokemon standards. So we're locked in. It's definitely not going to get an 88 plus. <laughs> I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah. Cause enough people that feel obligated to review every big game, sort of like we do just don't vibe with the Pokemon games. So that's going to hold it back. And I think that will more than balance out the ones that are just going to be obsessed with this game, which I think will also be a pretty small margin. I'm thinking, I'm thinking like 85 to 87. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I had to guess an exact number, probably 89. Okay. I'm going up there. Yeah. yeah I'm thinking just mid eighties. Well, we've already talked a lot about four different games, specifically four games. We haven't even gotten to play yet. So, I think that means it's time for us to pull the plug. Jackson, 
what else have you been into? So, a few days ago, one of my favorite bands, 1975, put out their new album titled uh, BFIAFL. That's not the name of the album. That's just what people call <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, being Funny in a Foreign Language, uh, which like every single other one of their albums is a extremely long title that just gets shortened to a bunch of letters that mean nothing to even the fans. But it is a very good album. I, I don't know where I would place it among their others, mostly because there's a good bit of a different sound on this one. Like, I don't think it's bad or anything, but their sound has definitely changed. And I think a big part of that is because Jack Antonoff produced it. And as much as I love that guy, he does have a tendency, and it's probably a thing that all producers do, but I don't really know much about how producing music works or any of that, because I'm not one. But there is a lot of, like, Jack Antonoff's, like, ideas throughout this album. The first song on it, like the moment it started, I thought I had accidentally clicked on a Bleachers album and played it instead. It does have a lot of Bleachers vibes. It, like, yeah. Specifically, Bleachers from several years ago vibes. The first two Bleacher albums. Not really much in line with uh, the newest album, but it reminded me a lot of, uh, I can't even think of the names of the first two albums. Gone Now and something else. But I, I do still think this is a pretty good album. Uh, there are definitely some songs that stand higher above the other ones. I think my favorite, probably Looking for Somebody, parentheses, to love, close parentheses, uh, or Oh Caroline. Those are pretty good. Uh, definitely recommend those two, but also think you should just go and listen to the whole album. Which is also pretty short. It's only 11 songs. Uh, their last album was twice as much. The last album, which came out like right when COVID started, was 22 songs long. And I don't... I like. There's very good songs on, on that album, but I cannot sit through all of it in one sitting. I also can't sit through a 1975 album in one sitting. Jason, what have you been into? Uh, I'm going to use my time here to talk about she-Hulk, who the newest show from Marvel Studios, or whatever. I I think it's Marvel Studios. I don't know. Maybe they renamed themselves. Um, and you know what? As a straight white man, I have one thing to say about this show. It's pretty good. Probably one of the best shows that's been on the Disney Plus uh, Marvel train. <laughs> <laughs> I think that She-Hulk manages to do something that none of the other Marvel shows so far have really done, and that is just being a compelling television series, first and foremost. And I'm not saying that all of the previous ones have been bad. I mean, obviously, everyone's been talking about Loki and WandaVision since they came out. I've honestly skipped quite a few of them, <laughs> just because um, they, they didn't look terribly interesting, but... She-Hulk is one that I actually decided to give a chance, and the big thing that it manages to do that none of the previous ones have done is just feel like a good, normal episode of television. Feel like a show in general. Yeah. Every episode is a self-contained story that, you know, makes up a part of the major narrative, whereas a lot of the Marvel shows have just kind of felt like 
movies that have been just horribly maimed and chopped up to be a TV series. Um, She-Hulk doesn't. It's good. It's well acted. The CGI can be a little bit rough, but it's also a 30-minute TV series instead of a movie. So I'm not super surprised by that. Jackson, I, I know you've watched it, at least. I don't know. Jordan, you've watched a few episodes, I think. What, what have you guys thought of it so far? Or Well, it's over now, but <laughs> what did you guys think of it? I mean, I've definitely liked what I've seen, but I don't think I've seen enough to really comment on it. I do think that uh, Tatiana Maslany definitely does a lot of, like, she does a lot of the heavy lifting for the show. Because I don't love what I've seen of the secondary characters so far, but she sells the heck out of it as as Jennifer Walters. I'm real excited to see more She-Hulk with other characters. The few characters that she does interact with in uh, She-Hulk, I think it's all like really funny, good scenes, and pretty excited to see her in the Avengers and how that will handle with with She-Hulk's whole thing of uh, breaking the fourth wall and all that. Yeah, I feel like the show doesn't really give enough time to the secondary characters. I know that it's limited. It's it's only like eight episodes. And obviously they want to focus mostly on the story that's actually about She-Hulk. But it, it does feel like um, Nikki and Pug are just completely ignored a lot of the time. Pug's only in like two episodes where he actually even really has dialogue more than just like one line. Yeah, I do think that he, they're both Nikki and Pug are pretty entertaining in the the last episode where they're actually in like a fair amount of it nikki is in a good bit of the show but i do wish she would have been in more too i i I don't know she just gives like (laughs) one-liners um it's weird because i i feel like it's not really a compliment and there's not like a huge huge amount to talk about without you know just getting into the story of the show but I want to see more of this from the other Marvel shows. I want them to feel like TV shows first and foremost. (laughs) Because people are getting tired of the Marvel TV shows. And I think the primary reason for it is just none of them are made for television. (laughs) It feels like with a lot of them, you need to watch them just in quick succession. And if you take too long between watching episodes, you're going to forget important stuff and then... And Disney Plus does a like weekly episode drop thing on like, yeah. most streaming services. This is also the first show where that actually like made sense because, like I said, like it is a TV series. <laughs> Every episode has its own plot and story, and isn't just you know one moment in an overarching story. <laughs> I don't know. I would just recommend it. Is all I really have to say about She-Hulk. I'm not great about at talking about television because I'm not. I don't really watch that much television these days. <laughs> Other than Survivor, that's been my big thing recently. <laughs> but yeah, just ignore what most people have to say about She-Hulk. It's a really good show. I know it's been getting review bombed by people that just uh, hate women, but more like MCU. Am I right or am I right or am I sad? You can be right and sad. I often am. (laughs) That's really all I have to say about it. Jordan, what have you been up to? Well, I'm going to give you an example of another good television because you said you haven't been watching much television. I guess I have been watching the show that you're going to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm not going to give a big sales pitch here because it's a workplace comedy and I know that like 
you either really vibe with that or you really don't. But uh, Abbott Elementary is so good. It is so funny and it is so charming and it has such a great cast. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, this is a workplace sitcom about a group of teachers in a school in Philadelphia. But it is, it's so, like, everything about it is just perfect, in my opinion. I think it's very, very funny. I think it has a lot of really, really good ways of depicting actual problems that actual people face. Um, the, all the characters don't inexplicably have more money than they could ever need, which is something I always love in a sitcom, because so many shows like to just never address, like, financial struggles or, like, Problems that like problems like that that a lot of people can relate to because they're like uncomfortable. Like this show tackles them kind of head on, but always in a tongue in cheek way that's still like appropriate and funny. And there's not always like concrete answers to everything. Um, sometimes they're just our problems, and they continue to be problems, which is something that teachers are obviously going to face, especially in the year 2022. Um, I just think it's, I just think it's such a cool show. It has a, you know, very sweet and charming message and I, I really dig it. Um, this is the first show in a very long time that I like really anticipate new episodes. Like they're in the middle of the second season now. And since the second season started, I have watched each episode like first thing in the morning, the day they get added to Hulu. Um, I just, I really dig it. I think. I think a lot of people are going to look back on this as like one of the good ones, even if it, even if it doesn't stay as strong, which is a very common thing in these type of mm -hmm. type of shows. I think it's like a really excellent first season, and I really like what they're doing with season two so far. So, it's a good show. I really like how well it's kind of balanced all of the different characters. For sure, like everybody in the show actually feels like pretty well developed, yeah, and they all have their moments to shine, like. You never go more than like two episodes without checking in on a pretty significant character. Whereas a lot of shows like this that have, I mean, there's basically like seven main cast members. And a lot of the time you just put a few of them on the back burner. Whereas this show doesn't do that very often at all. I, I really like it a lot. I, I actually kind of ignored it for the first season, which is kind of a shame. Um, I just, I watched the first season and what's come out so far. I've been watching what's come out so far, you know, like as it's been releasing, but I, I, I watched like the, the entire first season <laughs> around the time that the first episode of season two came out. Uh, and I definitely feel like I did myself a disservice by not watching it, you know, like as it was the first season, as it was releasing. Yeah. It takes a lot of the best parts of those other workplace comedies like the office and uh, parks and rec and stuff, but puts it in a more, in, in like a more complete setting, like the office can only mm -hmm. go so far because it's a boring office and parks and rec can only go so far because it's a job that most people just can't relate to. Whereas this show you've, ex you've been in a classroom either as a student or as the teacher. Um, <laughs> so if you were the teacher, I would hope you were there as a student at some point before that, <laughs> but like everybody could relate to what they're talking about, even if you are not a teacher and don't have teachers necessarily like in your immediate life, like everybody can relate to what's happening in the show on some level. Exactly. And season two, episode one, it's got gritty in it. It does. Uh, and you know, it's, it's always tough to comment on because we are a podcast hosted by three white dudes, but like, it's just cool to see a show that's a predominantly black cast. It's it's a very realistic show with well-realized and thoughtful characters. 
Well, I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you want to reach out to us, there are a lot of ways to do so. First, on Twitter, at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. Third, we stream on Twitch, at twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. Try to do that at least once every other week. We're going to hopefully do that a little bit more since there are so many games coming out in the near future. I mean, there's like... There's like 10 more big releases we didn't even talk about today that are coming in the next two months. So there's a lot of games. So we would love to hear your suggestions on what we stream. Um, You can send that to any of our socials or to our email, totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Something else we would also love is if you wanted to send us your own reviews on any of our socials or to our email, we would love to work them into the episodes of the games we've talked about today. I mean, our, our schedule's pretty well set for the rest of the year now, just because these four games are going to take up the rest of the year. Um, but but hey, if you email us and say you want to hear about Madagascar 2 for the DS, I will review it for my pulling the plug segment. I refuse to review Madagascar 2 for the DS until we've reviewed Madagascar 1 for the Xbox. <laughs> yeah. If you, but if you wanted us to review Marvel's Midnight Suns, a game that comes out in a few weeks, let us know. Yeah. Because it's not currently on our schedule, but... It could be. It's on the fence. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to hear more about Mario plus Rabid Sparks of Hope, you're probably only going to hear about it from me. But I still want to know, and I will tell you about it. <laughs> if enough people say they want to see a Mario plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope video... We will review Mario plus Rabbids, whatever the first one was called. (laughs) Kingdom Battle? That sounds right, yeah. Uh, And then we will mention reviewing Sparks of Hope, but we will never do it. Just like Mass Effect 3. Amen. Well, that that is enough TBM for one day, if you ask me. (laughs) So, for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.